know one in five Americans live with a mental health problem? <laughs> that means unless you live in a cave, you know someone personally dealing with these issues. So join us and our special guests as we answer your questions, share real stories, and work to pull the curtain back on how stigma impacts our everyday lives and our communities. We believe that making a real impact happens best with candid conversations, laughter, and tears. We are your hosts, Kaylee Murphy and Josh Moore, and this is Impact Stigma. Good morning, evening, or afternoon. Good morning, evening, or afternoon. I like that. You can just cover all your bases. I do, no matter where you're at. I like that. So how was your weekend? It was great. It yeah. was great. We went to Dollywood. Oh, that's fun. Mm-hmm. Very, very fun. And what's your favorite thing to do at Dollywood? Oh, I love the River Rampage. Well, that's probably my favorite ride, too. It's always my favorite. It's actually the only ride I can fit on. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a, a roller coaster rider. I don't like heights. Oh, I'm not either. My wife is a roller coaster junkie. My kids and my husband are, too, but not me. I'm the, the waiter, the watcher, the picture taker. Yeah. Yeah. So my favorite thing to do is I go buy the cinnamon bread and go people watch. Yes. Or hang out with Miss Lillian. Yes. She gives chicken blessings to everybody. That is so much fun. I'm, yeah. I'm right there with you. Yeah, I love, love me some cinnamon bread. Mm-hmm. You can't beat it. I think, so honestly, I think it's the best food they have here. Oh, me too. Hands down, I always buy it. Also the corn dogs. I like the corn dogs. I don't know that I've had a corn dog from there. You got the footlong corn dogs. I've seen them, but I don't think I've ever gotten one. Is that Fanny's or Fanny's? Something like that. I can't remember. There's so many good places to eat in there. I know. It's getting too crowded, though. Yes. Because we get season passes every year. It's over the last decade. It's like tripled in crowd size. It's almost I annoying. I know. You can even go in the middle of the week, and it is just packed. I know it. Yes. Well, today we got a good guest with us, don't we? Yes, we do. We have uh, Representative Hicks with us today. So we're going to be talking with him and asking some fun questions at first and then getting into a little bit more about what he does. All right. Representative Hicks uh, represents District 6, which is half of Washington County. This is his second term. He is on the Health Committee, the Education Committee, and the Transportation Committee. He is married to his wife, Carrie. And he has one son, Kyle, a daughter-in-law, Gretchen, two grandkids, and one more due very, very soon. So welcome, Representative Hicks. We're happy to have you. Thank you very much. It's good to be here this morning. Absolutely. So one thing we like to do to get to know you a little bit better is ask you a few oddball questions right off the get-go. Sure. So getting to know you a little bit better, what kind of music is your favorite music? Or do you have a favorite band? Or I like Christian music, uh-huh. but, but really and truly my favorite music is old uh, country music. So when you say old, is it like the Carter family? Or? No, I'm more like Merle Haggard <laughs> okay. and Johnny Cash. George and, Jones. And George Jones. Uh, Vern Gosden. Oh, okay. yeah. I'm all about that. No, there you that, go. That's my favorite kind of music. Love that. All right, so what is your favorite type of food? I love breakfast. Mm. I like biscuits and gravy. I like waffles. I like bacon and eggs. And, that's and that's me. That, that's my favorite. If it's sti- my mom used to say, the gravy should stick to your lungs. <laughs> and that's how you know it's good. <laughs> that's awesome. Amen. I love that. So, do you have a hobby or anything you're passionate about, like hiking, collecting Legos, maybe action figures, or probably my hobby now is golf. Okay. I, I actually, before I got into politics, I was sort of a professional fisherman somewhat. So, uh, okay. so yeah, I had fun with fishing and, and sort of took it as far as it could go. Now, for fun and relaxation, I play a little golf. So, do you have a your biggest catch 
Yeah, I'll call it largemouth bass that weighed 10 pounds and 14 ounces. That's, that's pretty a, good. That's, wow. a, that's a big one. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. That's you know. Nice. Yes, that's nice. <laughs> and I won a boat one time. Wow. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty big. <laughs> that's a great fishing story right there when you win a boat, right? Yeah. They can't say you were lying then. No, right? they did. No, they checked to see if I was lying, <laughs> yeah. actually. Oh, that's awesome. They do lie detector tests in some of those tournaments, don't they? Well, yeah. They did all the ones that I was in. Right. Yeah, because you know last year they had that big stink about putting people weights in the fish. Yeah, sure. Wow. Yeah. Well, okay, so what's your favorite season and why? I think fall is my favorite season, uh, you know, after a hot summer and just the pretty colors and, and it seems to be longer and prettier weather. Yeah, I like the cooler temps. Yeah, yeah, so I'm looking forward to fall. Yep. Yes. Fortunately, punch, pumpkin spice, everything comes out. That's right, everything pumpkin spice. My wife will be wanting to go to Starbucks and get pumpkin spice this, that, and the Oh, man. I like all the fall scented candles that come <laughs> oh, out. Those are my favorites. As always, we strive for candid, open, and sometimes even humorous conversations here on Impact Stigma. So please remember this podcast is never intended to be a substitute for professional advice, formal diagnosis, or treatment for mental and behavioral health issues. If you need further assistance or have questions, please visit the Frontier Health website at frontierhealth.org for more information. If you, your child, or someone you know is having thoughts of suicide or experiencing a mental health crisis, you can now dial 988 and you will be able to speak with a crisis specialist right away or go to the nearest emergency room. Hello, everyone. Like what you're hearing so far? Well, make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button right now. This podcast is made possible by listeners just like you, and we greatly appreciate your support. So let's get back to the show. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Representative Hicks, will you share with our Impact Stigma listeners a little more about what you do in your position as a Tennessee State Representative? Well, it's a it's a busy process. It's something that I truly enjoy. I serve about 70,000 people. Wow. Uh, each, each representative, there's 99 of us across the state. We serve about 70,000 folks apiece. That's quite a lot. We have two representatives from Washington County because we have about a population of 140,000 in Washington County, so there's two of us. So it's a lot of responsibility. You know, you, you, you get a lot of calls of people uh, needing things. And, and then when we go into session in January for the next four to five months, we create laws and make laws and just try to stay ahead of the curve on things. So it's, it's very interesting. It's interesting for a guy that has built houses and, and worked hard his entire life. So yeah. it's, it's, I like it. I wouldn't have thought there would have been that many, though. That is a lot. That's kind of a shock for me. Right? I know. That's a lot. That is a lot. It's a lot of people. And with the growth, you know, uh, mm-hmm. that we're having, it keeps going up. I think when I first took office three years ago, it was like 67,000. So it's went up considerably since then. So. Do you guys have like a census of where everybody's moving in from? Yeah, we keep track of that. And, yeah. and you know, a lot of people from California and up north. So mm-hmm. um, that's what I that's what I've heard. We've had a lot of people from California moving in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's crazy. Hey, Tennessee's a great place to live. It It is is a great place. I love it. All right. So will you share with us what it was like for you growing up and what made you go into politics? Well, actually, I grew up and I've lived my entire life 
probably about three miles from where we're sitting right now. Wow. So this is what I would call where this facility's at is in the heart of Gray and and in the heart of Washington County. You know, I was born and raised here. I love the folks here. I grew up in a time where Gray was a lot smaller to where you knew everyone. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, with the growth that's happening and just the way that it's evolved over the years, it's it's something that I care deeply about to keep our area the way that it's been for a long time. And I think it's important to, that we have someone that's that's from here, that knows the people, mm-hmm. that can serve those folks. Right. And, and that's, that's sort of what I enjoy doing. Absolutely. That's awesome. So can you go on back into the politics thing now? Can you tell us more about what it's like to be in session at the General Assembly? Busy. Busy. I would have never dreamed that going into session would be so busy. We literally have a meeting starting probably around 8 o'clock in the morning about every 20 minutes. And then that goes up to committee time. And in each committee, you know, I have one or two a day is about an hour and a half long right. piece. So, so, I mean, from I get to work about 6.30 in the morning. And I typically leave about 6.30 in the evening. Big difference coming, you know, we're in small town gray, mm-hmm. going to Nashville where it's crazy. Yes. It is. I'm sure it's mentally exhausting on those days. It, it was a shocker. It is. The hardest part for me has actually been putting on a suit and tie. Yeah. Uh-huh. Every day. <laughs> right. Me too. That's extremely hard on me because I've always worked outside my entire life. So. Yeah. So how often would you say the topic of mental health and substance abuse comes up in session? I think mental health has come up a lot, especially over the last couple of years, you know, especially in our younger kids and and just the struggles. I think we're just now starting to realize what COVID did with mental health. It's hard to imagine that all the problems that we're having now due to COVID yeah. and the mental health of our children and, and older folks as well. So Yeah, that it, year inside, really. Yep, yep. It, it comes up a lot. Addiction, you know, surprisingly, it doesn't come up as much as what I thought it would. Mm-hmm. It comes up in my conversations each day yeah. because I'm a recovering addict and alcoholic. So, so you know, I bring it up a lot, but as far as being talked about in the legislature, it's not talked about a lot. Wow. That's interesting. So it when, is. So it when is. you talk about your, yourself being a recovering, what is it you recovered from, if you don't mind? Well, I, you never recover. Right. But, you know, I started drinking and using mm-hmm. drugs, at, drugs at the age of 13. Oh, wow. And it gradually got worse. To, by the time I was 19, I was a full-blown alcoholic and drug addict. You know, it, it got so bad that dang near lost my life. Well, and, uh, mm. About 21 years ago, I see, it'll be 21 years Saturday. Yeah. I've been clean and sober. Wow. That's amazing. Years Saturday, so Congrats. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it, it is another reason why I ran for office is to bring light to that and just sort of uh, bring it up in conversations and prove that there is life after addiction. Absolutely. Mm-hmm, yeah. For sure. Well, we appreciate you sharing that with us. Yeah. So going back, I know you said that you uh, had worked outside your whole life. So tell us a little bit about what it's like to, to have a construction company. Well, I wouldn't know life without a construction company. Right. I've been doing it for 43 years. Mm-hmm. It's basically my father uh, started our construction company in 1967. So, you know, when I was 
10, 11 years old, he had me out working. So yeah. I absolutely love construction. It's something that at first, you know, you try to shy away from the hard work, but then you realize once you're set in it and you really like it, you know, I, I love a hard day's work. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing better than building a home for me and then looking back at the end or driving by it five years later and, and you know, seeing that there's a happy family in it, mm-hmm. it's really cool yeah. to, Sense of to accomplishment. do that. Yeah. 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 It's just part of me now. Right. You know, yeah. so I think if you make any career or any job a part of you, as long as you don't take it too far, I, th- I think that it's a good thing. It's a healthy thing because mm-hmm. accomplishment and, and a hard day's work, we take that for granted and we don't strive for that much in the world we live in today anymore. I think young people are sort of getting away from that. and It's something we need to get back to mm-hmm. because a, a hard day's work really makes you feel good about yourself. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It makes you appreciate things more, does. I think. It yep. does. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the hidden stresses that come with owning a construction company and running it? For me, it's sitting down and trying to do book work because (laughs) I really didn't like school very much. I was one of those guys that didn't do very well in school. And I always learned better by doing things with my hands. Mm -hmm. So it's hard for me to to really, you know, I'll buckle down and do it. I'm good at it. Mm -hmm. I learned and I'm really good at math and I'm really good at keeping books, but it's just taking the time to do it. And you have to learn real quick how to work with people Mm -hmm. because when you're building folks a home, it's one of the biggest investments they make in life. Right. And you really got to learn, you know, how to work with them. But yet, you know, if you truly believe that they're making a mistake or messing up, having enough experience and enough confidence to tell them that they're messing up. So, right. yeah, it's, it's challenging. Yeah. I'm sure you run into all different types of personalities in that job. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. you do. Yeah. You do. I mean, you know, and you got to just learn that person and figure out ways to work with them. Some you can't work with. Right. You know, it's like anything else, but, mm-hmm. but most you can. Right. So there's kind of a project we want to talk about now that you know about. Can you tell our listeners about the Appalachian Service Project? And then can you tell us, you know, what it's like to build a home for a flood victim? Yeah, Appalachian Service Project is a great organization that's based, you know, here in northeast Tennessee in Johnson City. Believe it or not, you know, it's an organization that that has about 18 to 20,000 volunteers each year come to work. Nice. That's a big project right there. Mm -hmm. So they do a lot of remodeling, but when the floods hit, I can't remember what year it was, but it wiped out some communities here in Northeast Tennessee and, and they needed help. They was wanting to build some of those homes back and I heard wind of it and it was an honor to be able to go and work on some of those houses. You know, I think I've had a part in four or five of those homes that we built for folks. And man, it was good to meet the folks that you was working with. You know, the it, most of them was ladies that I was working with. So it was people that is from here and just good hometown people right. with good hearts. And it was just a blessing to be able to build their homes back for them. That's amazing. Yeah, it's a cool project. And it. I think they're still, you know, I, I don't do it as much anymore because they sort of took off with it and really doing a great job. But they're working in middle Tennessee and different places across the state. Now. I know a lot of people looking at Tennessee, you know, we're landlocked. Mm-hmm. But we have all kinds of rivers and lakes and we have a lot of water here, actually. So over the last few years, there's been challenge after challenge after 
COVID and during COVID. So will you share some of the most important lessons you feel like you've learned about creating resiliency in yourself and all the people you represent? Yeah, I was thinking about that. You know, when I was running for office in 2020, it was right in the middle of when COVID hit. I guess then I could have, you know, sort of threw up my hands and said, you know, we, we don't need to be doing this. This is a tough time. But something told me not to do that. And we pushed through it with our campaign. You know, we never quit. We never slowed down. We kept at it. We've done unusual things for the times, you know, and it worked out. Mm-hmm. And we never gave up. And I think that's a big part of what people need to do in times like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you need you, it's okay to slow down. But I think a lot of folks just sort of gave up on some things that probably they're having a hard time getting work back into their life. Right. And, uh, and you know, it, you got to push through it. I mean, it's just like anything. Once our bodies or if it's a diet or whether it's something, once our bodies gets used to doing something, it's very hard to push through it and come out the other side and get back on track. Right. It's very hard. Mm-hmm. But this is something that takes a lot of prayer and just a lot of work. But I think it's important that we work through those and, and really try to get back on track. Right. Yeah. I have to push through even when times are really tough. Yeah, it, it, you have to, mm-hmm. you know. It's you, usually worth it. Yeah, it is. I mean, you only get out of life what you put in it. You only get out of anything that you do exactly what you put in it. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to really buckle down and realize that more. Absolutely. What was that defining moment that made you want to run? What was that one little thing that you were like, you know what, I need to do it? Personally, I think the Lord had been working in my life for a couple of years before that. And I was noticing it. Things was happening. My interest changed. You know, my father was a state representative for the same district back in the early 90s. So I had a glimpse, and it was in my family, you know, to do that. But I never really even thought about getting right. into politics. I think just being a hometown boy, being a common person, a guy that had worked hard his entire life and is not afraid to admit that he's got struggles in his life. Mm-hmm. I think that our area, and I think Tennessee, and I think the country is really ready for more folks like that. Mm-hmm. I truly believe so. Mm -hmm. So what parts of your job do you find most challenging? As far as politics, like I said, putting on a suit and tie has been (laughs) an extreme. And I know that sounds bad, but it's really going to Nashville to make and create laws when you are a home builder. (laughs) That's a challenge. Okay, so what I have to do is I have to, just like anything else that I've ever done, I have to work extra hard. I'm not a good reader. I don't comprehend. I have to work extra hard. When when a lot of folks are maybe, you know, going out and eating and having fun or doing something, I'm typically at the apartment studying for stuff mm-hmm. and just trying to get my legislation where I need it. So that's the challenge is just working in law when you've never, ever even <laughs> thought about doing that. But you know what? I've made it fun. Yeah. Right. You know, to have a challenge like that and then to get in committee and pass it through subcommittee, something that you're passionate about mm-hmm. because and you've worked hard on it. Mm-hmm. Then you go to the second committee and you get it all the way through the committees and then all of a sudden one day you're in the whale on the House floor 
debating this law, this bill, this idea that you had, it's very rewarding when you're just a country boy from Northeast Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you pretty much answered my next question. I was going to ask what what are the most rewarding aspects, but I would assume that that's one of them. It is. Sure. It's very rewarding. The most rewarding part of that is typically the bills that I go for is to help people, mm-hmm. especially where I struggled in school. It seems like education is getting more and more and more and more about education and and getting kids ready to go to college. And there is a huge percentage of kids out there that college honestly shouldn't even be an option for them. They need to learn a trade or they need to learn something to where they can get more into work. Now, once they get to work, they may find that they want to further their education, but they need a reason to further their education. Mm -hmm. That's the way I was. I fight for bills like that to really help people. I think it's making a difference. Mm -hmm. You know, we're we're seeing a lot more legislation being passed, and in this area we're seeing a lot more kids with new opportunities in high school. That's good. Yeah, it's, it's good stuff. So I really, really enjoy that. It's very rewarding. You know, what's a good way to advocate for mental health and politics like for you or as somebody in the community that's wanting to make, you know, a bigger difference? Like what can they do to help bring up the topic more into the chamber? Personally, I think the best way to bring it up is share your struggle with mental health. We all have them. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, if you don't, wow, I'd like to I'd like to meet you and talk <laughs> with you for a little while, but you know, with everything we've been through and the way the world and way the way everything's changing, I think everyone struggles with some type of mental health. And you know what? I mean, I like people to get real and admit that. Mm-hmm. I think that's the best advocate for and, and ways to bring up those conversations is to do that. We have an ever-changing world. We're getting ready to go into a special session that's so-called on gun control. Mm-hmm. The issues that we're having, if we don't watch out here, what's going to happen is all they're going to talk about is mental health. I hope that doesn't happen because mental health is one issue and a dangerous person is another. Mm-hmm. Right. So we, we've got to tiptoe through this and we've got to really put mental health where it goes and, and a dangerous person where it goes. But I foresee in the next two or three years mental health being a top priority for the governor and, and for the state. Mm-hmm. Truly do. Right. I'm sure some of those conversations down there get, get pretty heated. A lot of opinions, a lot of... There's a lot of strong-willed people in Nashville. (laughs) I'm sure. And they have a lot of opinions, you know. My point is, is everyone can change. Mm -hmm. I believe in second and third chances. Mm -hmm. I truly do. I do believe that anybody can change, especially through the Lord. But some of them are going to have a hard path to get there. Right. But I just don't believe that you... Throw people away and throw the key away. Right. You know, so they're not one and done. Yeah. Right. That, that's very true. All right. So one last question: If you could step into our shoes on this podcast, what would you have asked yourself that we didn't ask? I would have probably asked myself more about my family. You know, okay. I went through a time in my life to where uh, I just about lost my family. I struggling with addiction. My son. Struggled with addiction very, very early in his life. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
I want people to know that one person in a family making a decision, a good decision, to get back on track and to straighten their life out affects a whole entire family. We went from just about losing. I mean, I about lost my life. My son about lost his life. I mean, our family was going to be wiped out. To go from that 21 years later to having a family, being happily married for the last 20 years, my son and Gretchen are happily married, have two kids. I have two grandkids and one on the way Mm -hmm. that we see, you know, on a weekly basis, sometimes a daily basis. To be involved in a church, to be a state representative and represent 70,000 people. It, uh, I just want people to know that there is another way out of addiction. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think family has a lot to do with our being. And, and we, you know, if our family's not doing well, it hurts us. It takes us down a bad road. Mm-hmm. But one decision from one person can truly turn a family completely around. So what was it that made you turn around? My my addiction got so bad that I about lost my life twice. Right. Uh, Once some guys, I was in the wrong place, and some guys beat me up and threw me in the Nolichucky River in December. So they meant to kill me. Somehow I made it through that. Then again, you know, I had a failed suicide attempt. So once you go through things like that, I don't know, it's just one day I think I had had enough. I just truly believed that one day I woke up and I'd had enough. I had lost everything that I had. Mm-hmm. And from that day, that was 21 years ago this Saturday. Wow. I went to Frontier Health. Wow. That's where I went. And for me, I meant it so strong that I didn't have to go to no 30-day treatment or anything like that. I went to a very simple outpatient treatment four days a week, like four hours a day in the evening so I could work. And uh, I went to church every time the doors was open, and, and I don't know, it just stuck. I was tired of feeling that way and tired of being that way. And uh, Lord's let me, I, I've never looked back. Right. I think you're right. Once you make that decision, it's like a, a switch flips. It, it does. Once, just, yeah. just done living that way. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I was done. I mean, there's no question about it. So mm-hmm. uh, is life perfect? No, I have struggles. I mean, you know, when you, when you struggle with mental health, One thing that I learned during that time, I had a very good counselor from Frontier Health, and she strived in me balance, keeping Mm -hmm. life in balance. Mm -hmm. And I strive really, really, really hard to keep things in balance and and not get too much of one thing. You know, there at one time in my life, I I had too much fishing going on. I was getting addicted to it. Mm -hmm. And one day, I just said, God's got more for me to do than just go out and catch fish. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, it's just keeping life in balance is a very important aspect. I agree. We greatly appreciate you sharing your story with us. Mm-hmm. I know that has to be tough to look back on those times and talk about it. So we, we thank you for that. Thank you. Well, we want to thank you for your time today. You've been an amazing guest to have on our podcast. Uh, we're just so honored to have had you on absolutely. our show. Absolutely, Thank you for asking. Yeah, absolutely. And for our Impact Stigma family, we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Impact Stigma, and, and we thank you for continuing to tune in. Yeah, don't forget to subscribe. You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, all that good stuff. Absolutely. 
We can't wait to spend time with you all again soon, and thank you for continuing to help us make an impact. Stigma can help make mental health problems worse and even stop a person from getting the help they need. Untreated mental illness places an enormous emotional and economical burden on our communities. Economic burden alone is in the billions and directly affects all of us. We all play a crucial role in creating a mentally healthy community, one that is inclusive, rejects discrimination, and supports recovery. For us at Impact Stigma, this is way more than a podcast. It is about igniting our communities, sharing our stories, and working together with listeners like you. We invite you to find out more about Impact Stigma on our website at impactstigma.com. One way you can make an impact right now is by sharing our podcast with your friends and family, because you never know when something we talk about might be the reason someone you love asks for help. Mental illness is not a personal failure. We can't do this without you. So if you feel inspired to get involved, first, subscribe to this podcast. Then go visit our website, impactstigma.com, and watch the video on how you can become an impact maker. Thank you for listening to Impact Stigma. We are so grateful you chose us. We want to thank our guest again for sharing your impactful story and doing your part to impact stigma. Join us next time as we enjoy some laughs and hear impactful stories. Until then, this work needs you to go make an impact.